Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Scott Carver, and he'll be answering your questions on Water App. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Scott a question, just go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately. We'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form on the right side of our web pages, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcasts. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing and also hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and share the knowledge that we're going to provide for you tonight. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Bank doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Scott Carver about the On Water app. The Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel Spring Creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. Lease Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lease Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leaseferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. That's leesferryanglers.com, or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Scott, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drive tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. And look for the link under Scott's section that says register for a free drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving a one-year subscription to the On Water app. So here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that Scott and I talk about during the show. Just submit your answer along with your name and location using that text box on our home page. If you're the first one to answer the question correctly, then you'll win that one-year subscription to the On Water app. So listen closely, type fast, take notes, and hopefully you'll win. Our guest tonight is Scott Carver. Scott Carver is the CEO and co-founder of the On Water app. It's a dedicated angler, entrepreneur, fly fishing veteran, and technology industry innovator. With more than 40 years of executive-level management experience in both insurance, technology, and outdoor recreation industry, Scott's passion for fishing and technology fuels the vision for the on-water app and digital platform. Scott is the founder and majority owner of the Madison Valley Ranch, one of the preeminent 
guest ranches in the Rocky Mountains. The Madison Valley Ranch is an Orvis-endorsed full-service guest ranch located in Innis, Montana, and recently won the prestigious Orvis-endorsed Lodge of the Year. Prior to On Water, Scott founded and built two of the most acclaimed human resource and insurance technology firms in the United States. Most recently, venture and private equity-backed plan source was acquired by Vista Equity Partners, and in 2002, his angel-backed company, Thylink, was acquired by Fortune 500 company, Ceridian. Scott retired from PlanSource in May of 2019, and in addition to his success in the technology business, Scott has been married to his wife, Lisa, for 40 years. They've lived in Colorado that entire time and have been part of the Sage Creek community since 2002. They have two grown children and a son-in-law and fish and ski whenever they can. Scott, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Well, thanks, Roger. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you tonight. Looking yeah, forward to our yeah. conversation. Yeah, so Scott and I ran into each other at the recent IFTD show. So um, we got to know, and I got to find out about the on-water app when he was there and talked to some of his folks there that, that worked for his company, and it looked exciting to me. So we decided to give it some exposure here on Ask About Fly Fishing. So let's start at the beginning, Scott. What is the on-water app? Well, on-water really is a... It's an outdoor recreation app for water-based activities, but we're specifically focused right now on the fly fishing community. If you think about the world that we live in today, there's, you know, as the old saying goes, there's an app for everything, right? There's got to be an app Mm -hmm. for that. So, you know, I'm a skier, I'm a golfer, I'm a biker, I'm a hunter, I have a Jeep, I do a lot of off-roading. And you know what? I have an app for almost every one of those activities. And so we count ourselves in the outdoor recreation category, but right now we're focused on the fly fishing community, and we think we've built a pretty exciting tool to really help anglers and really all the stakeholders in the fly fishing community. You said you're focused on um, fly fishing now, or fishing are there thoughts of extending that to, like, whitewater, kayaking, rafting, that kind of thing? Or Absolutely. In fact, we own those domain names. So we have some pretty significant plans to expand into those verticals. I mean, it's just a natural extension of what we're doing. Sure. You know, as we get further into the conversation, we'll talk about this. But We're curating rivers all over the United States and eventually in Canada, and many of those rivers are coveted by whitewater enthusiasts, and the needs for that community are very similar to those of the fly fishing community. They want to know where to go. They want to know where access points are. They want to know how far they are from potential hazards and how bad those hazards might be. And so as we're curating these waters, we really think we can offer some value to the to the whitewater community as well in helping them navigate some of the perilous things that they have to navigate. Right. And yeah, yeah, it's absolutely a, a natural extension for us. We plan to go down that path. And I think it's time will tell just how quickly we get there. But we have some pretty significant interest from 
some fairly well-known brands in the industry that would like to see us move maybe quicker than we originally planned. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did the concept come about originally? What made you think, well, let's build this app? Probably one night with too much bourbon, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, my partner and I were sitting at the Madison Valley Ranch one day after fishing, and we were kind of going through our photographs of the day, and and we started asking ourselves a number of questions, you know, like, oh, gosh, where did you catch that fish? How big is that fish? Where did we float today? Where are we going to float tomorrow? Hey, can we wade fish back here? And isn't that private property back there? We just were having this conversation about all the things that anglers discuss on a natural basis each and every day when they're either reliving their day or they're planning their next day or planning some sort of future trip. And we kind of looked at each other and said, well, there's got to be, in this day and age, there's got to be some sort of an app that would help with those kinds of, or it would have that kind of data that we were looking for. And so we started researching, and this was two and a half, three years ago, we started researching that, and we could not really find anything. There were fishing apps out there, but they were really oriented to the traditional angling community and and really didn't speak to the fly fishermen. As you know, in more traditional angling, you can walk up and throw your uh, line in the water and pull up a chair and have a beer and call yourself fishing. But I think in fly angling community, it's... Fly anglers are, they're captured by adventure. They want to explore. They want to plan. They want to research. It's a much more cerebral pursuit. And looking for all of the things that anglers look for to plan a day and to explore a new water, a new region, takes a lot of time and effort. And we really didn't find anything that in the industry that really spoke to that need. So uh, we decided to really uh, put pen to paper and kind of map out a business plan for this. And then I had one experience, and it's kind of anecdotal, that really kind of sealed the deal for us. I was, uh, every year we go down and we fish the Rio Grande River in southern Colorado, and when my son was 16, he decided to join us, and I was in a different raft, and my son was in a – I was fishing with some friends. My son was in a different raft, and he had brought two of his high school friends with him. And as we were floating down the river, somehow we got separated, and we were floating like 24 miles, so we were going to be getting off the river late. And we got separated, and I thought my son was in front of me, and when we got to the takeout, his car was gone. We got out. We got back to the campsite at about 10 o'clock at night, and my son was not there. And as it turned out, long story short, he had floated past the takeout. Oh. And it was now 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night. His phone had died. He had no way to get in contact with me. And, and right after that takeout was a diversion dam that had he gone over, they probably would have ended up dead. But they were smart enough to pull off the river and find a house that they could use a landline to call me. But it just spoke to me about how important 
navigation on a river is and being able to calculate where you are in relationship to points of interest like boat ramps and access points or hazards and so forth and then be able to track your progress relative to those and to have an app that could warn you if something was coming up that could be dangerous. And, yeah. and so that particular experience really kind of sealed the deal that there was truly a need for something like that. And so we started using my experience in the software industry and also having another foot in the fly fishing industry with our lodge put us in a unique position to really start down this path of building the on-water app. I can surely relate to that because I've done a lot of whitewater rafting in my life and did the, you know, 21 days down the Grand Canyon. And, boy, we were just, you know, had the topo maps trying to find out where the next rapid was and you know, because you don't want to go through them without scouting them in the Grand Canyon. And I could oh, definitely, uh, yeah, use for that there. But it was all paper maps that we were using. And we didn't know exactly where we were you know, until we found a major landmark, you know, that we could identify. You were always kind of looking around the next corner wondering if, if this was the one or not. But there's plenty of smaller That's rivers, been, too. I can think of the upper Colorado there by just below Pump House. There's one spot yeah. where you have to squeeze through. And you better know where that spot is <laughs> or you'll be up on a rock. That's exactly right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's near and dear to my heart. I almost flipped a boat up there in that. Needles Eye area that you're talking about. Right, so, Needles Eye, yeah. I know. And, you know, as anglers, we accumulate maps. I'm a walk-weight angler as well as a, a float angler, so I do both. But I always take a map, if I can find one, if I can buy one at the fly shop or what have you, I will take a map with me. And to your point, I'm always trying to guess precisely where I am on that map, and I'm also trying to guess whether or not I'm on public or private property. Right, and, right. Uh, and so that becomes, you know, it becomes problematic, and you certainly don't want to be trespassing. Yeah, we can talk. I know there's a question coming up about that, so we can dig into that a bit more later sure. in the show. Yeah. You had said it was a couple, three years ago that you came up with the idea to develop this. Is that right? So. How long have, since you started, did it take to develop the app? We've really been working on it in earnest for the last two and a half years. Okay. We originally thought that we could use an outside development firm to, to do it, but that we quickly learned that that was too expensive and too slow. So given my experience of being in the software industry, and being in the fly fishing industry, I was able to tap into my network, and we've, we've put together a, a team of incredible software engineers. And I would say in the last 12 months, we've really accelerated the development of the tool. And it's a very, very sophisticated piece of technology and one that takes a lot of testing, a lot of user testing, We've had a lot of people using the app in the early days that would give us a lot of invaluable feedback that allows us to kind of smooth out the rough edges, as you will, if you will. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, it's two and a half years in the making, and we feel like we're just getting started. When did you actually launch? When did it become available to the public? 
It became publicly available in December of last year. The Fly Tackle Dealership Show was really kind of our debut in the market to, where we really started to, to promote it publicly. We had a small group of users prior to December using it that we were using to garner feedback from, but we started rock and rolling in December. Okay. okay. And how did you build and, and find the people for your team? Because you've got a pretty large team there, it seems. Yes, we do. On your website. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We have, uh, we've got 18 full-time employees. And the engineering staff, the software engineering staff, really came about through the network of software developers that I had come to know over my years in the software industry. And what's really cool about that group and how I selected them was that they were all passionate outdoorsmen and fly fishermen. So oh. these guys understood what, what we were trying to do. They understood the domain that they were working in, and they couldn't wait to quit their jobs and join this team to work wow. on a tool like this. It was really cool. I mean, we don't have any trouble recruiting people, I'll tell you that. The other part of our organization is our curation team. And this is a team of people who are doing all of the research. They're looking at satellite imagery. They're reading articles. They're talking to fly shops. They're calling shuttle services and they're just amassing all of this knowledge that then gets curated into our river maps. And you see that if you look at any one of the maps, and as you go through the app, you'll see that just that plethora of information and research that these people curate into the app. And we've got, I think we've got 10 people doing that, and they're, they're really located all over the country. We're able to leverage some of that local knowledge and again, these people are all just really passionate fly fishermen, and every one of them comes out of the fly fishing industry. Every one of our staff members, including our senior leadership team, are they're either guides, they're fly fishing authors or instructors, they're fly shop owners, me, a lodge owner. Every one of them uh, comes out of the fly fishing industry. So the experience that we've assembled is just it just blows my mind when I think about it. Now, the curation team, is are they volunteer? Are they paid? Oh, no. Oh, no, they're paid. Okay. Is that something you're yeah. expanding as you grow to find yep. more curators or in different parts yes, of the country? Yes, Okay. It okay. is. In fact, we just hired two in the last week. So. Oh, wow. We think it's important that we – have a distributed curation team because it's there's so much local knowledge that is important that needs to come through in these maps and for these curators to go and know where to look and who to ask questions of when they're doing their research is vitally important it just makes the mapping and the information that we surround the, the maps with more robust more accurate, more precise. So we think it's important to have a distributed team. I'd love to have everybody together so that they can interact. I'm kind of old school in that regard, but I found this this ability to tap into the local knowledge has been has proven to be invaluable. Yeah, yeah. 
It's kind of like I did look on your on the app for that Upper Colorado, my pump house, uh, because I know what shuttle service I use there. And sure enough, Rio Rancho was there. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and I'll so, tell you, the, those are the hardest ones to find is who, oh, are, the, who yeah. are the local shuttle guys that are servicing these rivers because sometimes they're just one individual that, um, yeah, Sally, you know, who I mean, lives yeah. down the ro road on County Road 23 <laughs> on the corner there. You knock on her door. Exactly. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. I can't even and remember that, how that's... I found out about Rio Rancho the first time. It was something like that. I probably asked somebody had to put in or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, yeah. and that's exactly what these curators do. You know, they do a lot of research on the web, and they'll try to find okay, who are the shuttle services for this particular river? And But then they'll make a call to the local fly shop and say, okay, who do you guys use? And who would, and they get that information. And so it's, I mean, we're trying to do as complete a job as we possibly can because some of this information is hard to find and it's obscure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, unless you're a local and you know about it, that's for sure. Well, Scott, we need to take a quick break here, but uh, hold on tight, and we'll be right back and talk more about uh, the on-water app. So much more than just a musky fly shop. Whether you're a musky fly fishing guide, an experienced musky hunter, or just getting into predators on the fly, wherever life's adventures take you, Musky Town's proven lineup helps you to be more successful on the water. They have rods, reels, lines, and flies for musky pike and bass. Most of their flies are tied in-house, and they fish at every possible opportunity so they know what works, why it works, and exactly what you need to put big fish in the net. Sit back, relax, and enjoy legendary fly shop service, and please let them know if there's anything they can help you with. Next time you think of Muskie, go to Muskytown. That's muskytown.com, or call them at 763-312-6012. That's muskytown.com at 763-312-6012. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking to Scott Carver about the on-water app. If you'd like to ask Scott a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. And um, we do have a couple questions that have come in here, Scott, on the Internet. So let me, uh, let me oh, oh, I lost. One of the questions was, and I just, hold on a second here. It's from Torin in Harrisburg. I'm guessing that's Pennsylvania. Where do you see the direction of the on-water app going in the next five years? Hmm. Well, we have a pretty broad vision for this company and our platform. You know, right now we're really focused on the experience for the individual angler. But as I said earlier, our mission is really to become an industry platform that provides value for really all the stakeholders in our industries. And what I mean by that is the fly shops, outfitters, product manufacturers, conservation groups, authors, educators. When I think about our industry, we look at it very holistically, and, and we really believe that we have an opportunity to connect our community in a way that really doesn't exist today. 
And so when we think about where we're going, it really is inclusive of all of that. And when I think about our mission, it really can be summed up in three words, and it's really become our byline, and it's enhance, connect, and conserve. And enhance, we want to enhance the individual angler's experience. We want to connect our community, and we want to cons conserve and protect our resource. That's our mission. Okay. Torin has another question, which just uh, piggybacks right on what she said. It says, how is the OnWater app mitigating or protecting resources from overexposure? Great question. We're certainly seeing more anglers coming into our, into our sport. It's no secret. Many of the major rivers are seeing much more pressure. We're seeing more people expressing an interest in being in the outdoors. And the On Water app we view as a tool to help these new entrants and even existing anglers, quite frankly, to be better stewards, more educated stewards of our sport and our resources. We pride ourselves as fly anglers on practicing proper etiquette, practicing conservation and protecting our resource, and we think the OnWater app can be a valuable tool to get some of those messages across and help anglers understand the appropriate way to approach our sport and protect it. It's a medium to communicate. Are we providing information about waters to people? The answer is yes, but that information is available to them in a lot of different areas. What we're trying to do is aggregate information to make it easier for them to get at things and then maybe assemble that information in a way that could protect our resource and educate folks. You know, we've made, we have a significant conservation commitment as part of our core values. We've we're taking a part of our revenue and we're actually contributing it as a matter of our course of business to conservation groups. Even though we're new, we've contributed over $25,000 to a variety of conservation groups across, well, not only nationally, but across the West, and we'll continue to do that. We see that as a just a, a core part of our mission as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes me think about, you know, because of the whitewater rafting experience that I've had over the years, and I mentioned this on many of my shows because I think times are changing. Like you said, there's more people fly fishing and using the water resources, and there's more and more private water being locked up and making it difficult to access. And my thought is always that we go more toward like it is in Europe, where it's, you know, you have to be in a club to be able to fish because all the water is private. There is no public water. and We may go that direction at some point. Have you thought about that? Because it could mean that uh, part of your app is that, hey, you have to enter a lottery to, <laughs> to get on this Beasley River, you know, in the future. That may be the case. Or, and or will you record those private sections? I know you're familiar with, like, the north fork of the, the South Platte up here by where I live, where sure. most of the sections are private. But you can fish them. It's just you got to pay. That's all. Yeah. Are you going to document those areas as well? 
Generally not, specifically to that question. You know, okay. I certainly hope that here in the U.S. where public lands is such an important part of our DNA as a population, I hope we never get to the point where any kind of angling becomes privatized and commercialized. I don't feel like that is certainly not imminent. I hope that's not the direction that we're heading as a country. But I would say that with on water, if we are fortunate enough to gain a large enough population of members and users that maybe we become a powerful voice in mm -hmm. Washington to protect our waters. And that's certainly very foremost in my mind is that because of this notion of becoming and connecting our community, we have a unique opportunity to create a groundswell of any kind of position that we might want to take as fly anglers and have our voices be heard if we're if we're being if we're collectively communicating that and a platform like this is could be a great medium for that yeah um, yeah i don't anticipate that we would that we would curate private waters that's really not our mission you know we're very very sensitive to the personal experience of fly angling sometimes people talk about oh, you're going to just tell everybody where the best places to fish are, they call it spot burning, what have you. That is absolutely what we are not about that. We're there to enhance the experience, and we value that that solitude and that, that notion of exploring different places. I mean, that's we're all yeah. anglers ourselves. That's what we love, right? And we certainly want to protect our public lands to do yeah. that. Yeah. We had a question, uh, and it's come in twice now. Thomas? Listen and Flagstaff wrote in and says, does the app have access to regions out of tower range? No internet. Do you have to load yes. maps and region info beforehand? Great, great question. Absolutely. That's a key feature of the app. Every one of uh, the maps you are able to download and then it resides on your device and you can use it, and all the features will function just as if you were online. So you could be offline, completely off the grid, and that app will function just like it would if you were sitting in a Wi-Fi spot. Except you won't know where you are on the map, right? Oh, no. You will know where you are on the map. Absolutely. Your GPS works. Oh, well, the GPS so, still works you know, even if you don't have a cell yeah. signal. Okay. Yeah, your experience, Roger, your experience in the Grand Canyon is a perfect one, right? Um, yeah, yeah, there was you no. Know, there's no, <laughs> there's no cell service down there, but as you're traveling down the river, you're being tracked. Your GPS indicator will, will work on the app, and it will calculate where you are on that map. It will calculate how far it is to that next rapid or that next campsite. So it works just like it would online. Well, that should answer. Joel wrote in on the Internet asking basically the same question. So, Joel, I think that yeah. answers your question there. Yeah, the because one, the one clarification that I would make is there are certain things in terms of real-time data when you're offline that you wouldn't see. So if you were to look at, for instance, a flow station on a river and you weren't online, 
it wouldn't be able to pick up the real-time data from the flow station. It would probably render the last reading that we had. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's probably the one area that you just need to be online to get the proper flow station. So there's a couple yeah. things like that. But yeah, all the navigation to, works. Or to use the, uh, you know, the, obviously the call-out feature, if you want to call a local shop or shuttle service, you might you wouldn't be able to do that, but that's a cell phone function, not a map map functions. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But like you said earlier, it just comes to mind how many times I've been on a new river and anxiously trying to find that takeout. <laughs> yep. I mean, that can be nerve-wracking at times when you've never seen it. And a lot of times you haven't seen it even from the land because you sent a shuttle service down with your trailer or something. But Precisely. in some of those, you know, you just like go around a corner and it's there and you could be on the wrong side of the river. So I, I can see how valuable that just knowing where the takeout is, like your son's yep. experience could be, we had, could be devastating. Yeah, we had an experience where we had some friends, if you're familiar with channel section of the Madison River. It's very braided, it's very flat, and it can become very confusing to people who are not experienced back there. And we had a situation where we had people wade back in to that channel section, and it's, it's kind of a zen-like experience. It's so beautiful back there. You just keep fishing and walking and fishing and walking, and the next thing you know, they were they were several miles downstream from where the ranch was, and they had no idea how to get back. And they actually had to call us. We had to send people out to go locate them. And if you were carrying this app, you'd know exactly where you were, and you'd be able to tell exactly how far you were away from the ranch and how long was it going to take you to get back. So, yeah. I mean, there's huge safety issues as well as just, just navigating with confidence. There are a couple more questions coming in here. Uh, Chuck in Placerville says, are you connecting to weather apps to capture changes in the weather patterns? Yes, we are connected to AccuWeather. There's a three-day forecast associated with each map location. And I, I was just thinking, I, I've never fished this, but have you ever fished the White River in Arkansas? I haven't. Yeah, uh, I, but I sure want to. <laughs> uh, I hear that their flows out of the dam can change dramatically. Like they blow a siren, and the river can, within 30 minutes or so, can come up a couple of feet or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm wondering if that would that be indicated in the flow station data that you have, or is that something you know? Whoever asked that question, we might want to talk to them about becoming a member of our product team. We hadn't really thought of that, that emergency type of release. Obviously, we would always be tracking the flow stations, but when they do that down there on the White River, and I've had this happen to me on the Green River up in Utah, yeah, um, yeah. there probably should be some sort of alert on the app when we see a dramatic spike in a flow station that could be dangerous. That's something we hadn't yeah. really thought of that, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. I wish we could say we've thought of everything, but we haven't. <laughs> There's but always something. Be, <laughs> There's always something, yeah. That would be, 
that would be something that would be invaluable. And we are now curating rivers in the southeast, in Georgia and Tennessee, and certainly Arkansas is is uh, next on the list. That's actually a really good idea, and it probably wouldn't be that difficult of a feature to introduce. Yeah, it's kind of like the alerts I get here for, you know, up here in Bailey. It's like you get a yep. winter storm warning alert. Beep, beep, beep. You have to on your phone. Yep. The well, guy to talk the, to down the, there. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, one of the features that uh, we're going to be releasing here very shortly, it's, our, it's one of our newest enhancements, is this notion of geofencing. So we can, you can, as a user, you could designate a point of interest on the river, and then the app will alert you when you're getting close to that particular point of interest, and you can set those parameters, right? Like, you know, oh, wow. 100 yards, 200 like yards, quarter miles. Yeah. Like a yeah. takeout, like a campsite, like a rapids, a hazard, but it's this notion of geofencing and just thinking about the previous question we got about a significant spike in a flow that could become dangerous, that's really a, quite a good idea and I think would kind of fit with some of the things that we're thinking about yeah. for the app. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of using geofencing like that. I mean, we use geofencing for a lot of our digital marketing clients. Sure. And uh, it was quite effective for advertising purposes, but I hadn't thought of using it for that. That's good. And I know who to, who you want to talk to down there on the White River in Arkansas, Davey Wanton. He's <laughs> okay. been around forever. He knows that river upside down, inside out, and uh, every which way. So um, I'll, I'll send sounds you like a great resource. Yeah, I'll send you his info if you, if you want to contact him. Um, yeah, cool. Let's see here. We've got... That was the weather apps one. Let's see. We talked about that it shows you your position on the map so you know where you are, whether you have cell phone service or not. Claire and Helena Montana wants to know how detailed the maps are. Well, I think that's the real value, and one of the core strengths of the app is just the level of, of detail that is incorporated. As I said, every one of these maps is hand curated so we're not importing public data around campsites or access points these are every one of the points of interest that are plotted along these rivers someone has looked at through satellite imagery made a determination that that's exactly where that point goes then they write a description about it that is oriented to the angler and what the angler would want to know. There are directions. You can click on a point of interest and get directions. The property parcel data that we have, that we're using, is very specific. It's as good as any in the industry. And those little slivers of public property or private property are highlighted along the maps and they're very precise so that you know based on where your GPS shows where you are you'll be able to tell whether or not you're standing in public or private property we talk we describe stream access laws in every state so that people understand whether or not the river bottom is privately owned or it allows public access yeah, I mean, there's just there is a lot of detail. I'm sure, 
for someone who might fish a particular river every day of their lives, they're going to know that river probably better than than our curators. But then again, I think that's the beauty of what we're doing is it still allows people to explore. We have this feature called My Places, which allows an angler to be on a river and if they found their own little personal honey hole, they could drop the equivalent of a pin. And that private spot, they could add a photo, they could add notes to themselves. It almost becomes like a personal fishing journal for them. But that spot remains private on their device. No one ever sees it. We're very sensitive about sharing, sharing things unless people want to share it with their own friends. They can... They can't do it through the app, but they can certainly show somebody. But that little piece allows people to find those little gems on rivers and place a reminder and some notes so they can find it again, and that becomes private to them. Very good. Brandy Moses, you're talking about river maps, maps in Montana. Brandy Moses in Montana asks, how do you recreate the river maps? What I guess he's asking, you know, what the base document is or, or where they come from? Well, what we've done is we start with kind of a blank slate and we ask ourselves, what are the top most viable fly fishing rivers and waters? We're not limited to rivers. We're also doing still water in the state. And, of course, there's thousands, right? And so we said, okay, what are the ones that are going to be of most interest to most anglers? And, you know, you can narrow that down to 50 or 100 or what have you. And we identify those, and then we begin the research on those locations. So if I were to pick one, I'll just pick the Madison River since it's in kind of my backyard. What we'll do is we will take a satellite image of that river and then we trace it with a piece of proprietary technology that allows us to calculate those distance and what it does is it creates a kind of a geo footprint in our database and we start there and then we overlay property data property parcel ownership data on top of that and then the curators come in and they start looking at the various points along the river and they place those points of interest, whether they be boat ramps, access points, what have you, they write the descriptions, they research the regulations, they research the license data, stream access laws, shuttle information. We highlight all of the fly shops. We include all of the fishing reports. It takes quite a bit of time to curate a river in its entirety. And what we try to do is we try to break the river maps up into logical sections so that they don't mm -hmm. chew up too much data on people's phones. You know, the Madison River, of course, is 130 miles long, but we've, we've kind of sectioned it in three sections that are the way people think of it logically. There's the lower section, the upper section, and then, of course, the section in Yellowstone Park. And we do that with every river. You got the Deschutes, you got the upper, the lower, the middle. And so we try to create those maps in those logical sections that anglers like to think about them. And so they're, again, they chew up less data. And 
typically anglers are thinking about a particular section of a river, not the entire length right. of 100 or 200 miles, right? Right, right, exactly, yeah. Scott, let's take another quick break here, and we'll come back, and we'll dig in more. So, so a lot more okay. questions still. All right. Yep. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or would like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. That's, again, epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Scott Carver about the on-water. If you'd like to ask Scott a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Use that Q&A text box and send us your question. We'll try to get them answered here tonight. Okay, uh, pretty pertinent question here, Joel and Sheridan. How often are you updating the curated data so it remains current? Another good question. As I mentioned to you earlier, our curation team is geographically dispersed, but they also have, each curator has kind of a geographic responsibility. We try to assign a number of states to each curator, and those curators own that geographic region, and they own every element of it. So they become responsible for not only the accuracy and the completeness of the maps and the data associated with the maps, but they're also responsible for making sure that they're keeping up to date on changing conditions, changing regulations. And now, I would tell you that's a challenge, right? Because some of these rivers, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, where you have a lot of very fluid regulations with regard to salmon and steelhead and so forth, in the east we see that a lot as well. And, and sometimes it's so fluid that it becomes almost impossible to, to keep up with and, and ensure that we're providing the most accurate and up-to-date information. So we do provide links directly to those regulatory agencies so that it's something that changes almost, just call it monthly or what have you, you know, we might put a disclaimer in there to say, hey, this is a very fluid regulatory environment. We'd recommend that you check the latest here at this link, and they can just click on that link and go there. But mm -hmm. the vast, vast majority of regulations are fairly static. And so these people are on a quarterly, maybe semi-annual basis, making sure we're going through. We do a QA audit on our rivers, and we make sure to check to see if anything might have changed specifically with the regulations. That's a big item for us. And they do that with fly shops, fishing lodges, shuttle services, we're constantly stay on trying to stay on top of whether or not <laughs> these folks are still in business, <laughs> the phone still works, right. you know, that kind of stuff. So we won't ever be perfect. I mean, I'm sure we're going to miss some things from time to time, but we understand how important that is. There'd be nothing more frustrating for a user than, you know, to call a couple of phone numbers listed in our app and find out no one's answering. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I just heard this year that you mentioned Pacific Northwest that uh, that they had closed, I guess, most of the Olympic Peninsula to steelhead fishing up there. Mm-hmm. And that was highly unusual, but something one would want to know if you were planning a trip. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I understand those regulations can be a little sticky at times. We've got Chuck in Placerville, and there were some other questions here on well, Chuck, I'll start with Chuck's on the online question here. I understand your initial focus is on rivers, but do you have plans for still water and high alpine fishing lakes? And we had some other people ask the same question. So, Yeah, absolutely. We do have a number of still waters curated. We made the decision to initially focus on, on moving water, but we certainly plan to expand that into still water fisheries as well. And that would include not only the location of it, but also how you might access it. We also plan to expand our geographic footprint to include the entire country. As I said, the amount of effort that goes into curating these rivers is is quite significant. And so we had to start somewhere, and so we decided to start with moving Moving waters in the west, we expanded into still waters, and now we're curating a number of all of our brethren states in the east. Yeah, we do have specific questions on that. I'll just run through them quick. Scott was wondering about Michigan. He's a guide up in Michigan. Are you moving forward or have you done Michigan? Yeah, we've curated a fair number of rivers in Michigan. I think we've got – last time I looked, there was – over four, I think there's 44 or 45 river maps today in the state of Michigan. And I grew up in Michigan, so it's near and dear to my heart. I can tell you that there'll be quite a bit more as time goes on. But I think we've got pretty good coverage in Michigan. Greg Kiefer in San Diego is asking about Utah and Idaho. Are they included? Yes, we Yes, we have Utah and Idaho. In fact, I'm when I leave Missoula here, I'm going to go trek across Idaho over towards Washington, and I'm going to hit about three rivers along the way, and I'm going to use this app <laughs> a lot, <laughs> okay. a lot during my journey because I've never fished any of these rivers. DB in San Diego asks, what southern east coast? waters do you have information on? Because that's the area you said you're building out now, right? Yeah, yeah, we're building, right now we're curating Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, as I said, Arkansas is slated next. You know, there's a lot of wonderful fly fishing in the southeast. We think it's a very important part of the country, and so we are focused on that. In fact, the two curators that I mentioned that we just hired, that's going to be their geographic area of responsibility. Okay, and so Bill Williams asked similar in western North Carolina and northern Georgia, so that kind of falls in that same region. Yep, exactly, Um, yeah. Zoran in Vancouver, B.C. wants to know about British Columbia and Alberta. Mm. Well, we don't have any Canadian rivers mapped as yet, but we certainly will. One of the challenges that we face with some of the Canadian waters is the property ownership 
data is not as readily available in Canada as it is here in the U.S. So that's something that we're going to have to work through as we move in that direction. My best guess is that we will start curating in Canada in, in probably mid-2023, maybe late 2023, but we fully intend to have Canada included as well as saltwater destinations. And as we get further down the road, it's our intention to have global waters. I mean, we, South America and Ireland and Australia and so forth. I mean, there's, this is a global sport and we want to have a global presence. So mm -hmm. it's going to take mm -hmm. us a while to get there, but we fully intend to, to do that. Uh, this is an interesting question from uh, Jerry Sherman in Lexington, Kentucky. Many fly fishers covet the idea of discovering unfished waters or at least waters with very little pressure. Could this new technology help in this pursuit? Well, certainly it does. You know, one of the things that we have today is we have the hydrology data for every piece of water in the United States. And we are able to highlight that on maps, and we were able to overlay public and private property parcels on those maps. But we, as anglers, also want to ask ourselves, and we do this every day with our staff, do we really want to curate every those little gems out there, or do we want to leave them untouched so that they could be explored by anglers. Maybe we provide them a tool as to where it might exist, but maybe we don't provide them all of that information so that those little gems that people want to explore on their own remain their own, and they use the tools that we put in the, in the app like My Places so that they could designate their own points of interest and, and pin the access points that are important to them that they might want to keep private. I think mm -hmm. we have a responsibility to be conscious about not exposing too much. It's a balancing act, right? And we sure. talk about this every day because we're all anglers. That's what I love is I love going off and exploring those little creeks and streams that no one else is on and catch little six-inch brookies and and you're all by yourself, and you're enjoying the solitude. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had, I think the app would would help because I can pin those places that I want, but maybe that's not appropriate for a, a fully hand-curated map in that instance. Right. I think we had somebody on our, I can't remember who it was on our show, but he was saying how he uses, when he wants to get away, he uses one of the DeLorme topo map books mm -hmm. in the state he's in. And then he just looks for yep. those little tiny uh, blue lines <laughs> and, uh, yep. you know, that may not have a trailhead. It may not have a parking lot. It may not have anything. But, you know, he found many a quiet place uh, using that kind of technique. But that's something to cherish. Anyway, another quick break, and then, then we'll come back and we'll talk about those private property and the, knowing where you're at and stuff, because I think that's real important. And so we'll talk about sure. that as soon as we get back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of 
habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all types of fish, to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy those one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Scott Carter about the on-water app. If you'd like to ask a question, go to our homepage, fill out that form, send it in, and we'll try to get an answer here tonight. Okay, Scott. Let's talk about stream access, private property, that kind of thing. Carl Palmer, Russ Rochester, New York, wrote in and he says, in New York State, stream access laws are very convoluted. We recently spoke with a DEC officer, and he said that in order to determine if someone is trespassing, he would need to research the landowner's deed to see if the deed included the stream bottom. Other streams require landowner's permission for access. Has this been taken into consideration with your software? Well, it is. Now, we may not be able to solve some of the more granular issues like the one he described in his question, but every one of our maps has a section that describes the stream access laws. And it's written in a way that it's not in legalese. It's written in a way that anglers can, can hopefully comprehend. And then what we do is we overlay the property parcel data onto the maps. And the parcel data comes from the counties that these waters reside in or course through. It's very, very precise data. If You know, there's probably some of your listeners that maybe use Onyx for hunting. They might even mm-hmm. use it for fishing. I hope they switch if they're using it for fishing. But... Uh, nevertheless, it's a very, very precise tool for understanding where the exact property boundary is overlaid on top of an outdoor recreation map. And that's what we use. So we're able to illustrate those little slivers of land that might be owned by a local sanitation district or a city and county piece of land. We obviously everybody can get access to the big BLM data and Forest Service data and so forth. But it's those little slivers along these river corridors or along these bodies of water, whether it be still water, that are very, very difficult to identify. And and we're able to do that because of how we capture and, and import that property data. Now, to get to the question of, Does one property in New York, based on their deed, disallow access where another one would? I don't know that we would ever get to the point where we could solve that particular issue, but the combination of what we're doing with our property data and regulations and stream access laws 
I think we can provide some pretty good educational input for our users, and if nothing else, give them a place where they could check further if they need to. Yeah. Well, I know it seems out west here, and I only know these because I've fished there, you know, like Colorado or Wyoming or Montana or Idaho. Um, it's pretty much statewide what the regulations are, but maybe out east there's old grandfathered-in parcels that say differently than what the state laws say. I don't know, but maybe that's what he's talking about. Um, well, they definitely are. I mean, it's, it's yeah. way more complicated back there. Out east, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, it certainly is. I'll tell you where in Colorado this is going to be so valuable is I fished the Gunnison and from like Almont down. And mm -hmm. that is, I fished it with a guide the first day and then my son and I floated our boat the second day. But that is a hot mess of private property. <laughs> I mean, you don't know because, you know, like you go down 100 yards and then on the left it's public and on the, the cross over it's private. You go down 50 more yards and then it's private on the, on the left and public on the right. And I was there in a fly shop with a highlighter trying to highlight my map, you know, <laughs> to try yeah. to figure out where I would be safe and not get arrested at the takeout for trespassing. It was not, it really was impossible to do because the fly shop, the guides just know where it is. and They can't map it for it. You know, they just know from experience where to go. But I can see this being a huge advantage for a river like the Gunnison where it's, it's so mishmash, you know, parcels there. So, um, oh, it, yeah, that's... Yeah. Hence the reason why we exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, I have, I mean, even just to pile on to your story, I have a, we have a home on the Blue River in Colorado, and there's a piece of property, it's just a little tiny sliver of BLM land that is probably 100 yard, or 100 feet wide and maybe 100 yards long, and the parcel actually extends halfway into the river. So if you were to access the river from that public sliver, you can only wade halfway into the river. If you go over the halfway point of the river, you're actually trespassing. And, <laughs> yeah. and how crazy is that, right? So, but the parcel data that we have, it shows that line running right down the middle of the river. And, you know, really? if you had your GPS on and you walked over to the, the east side of the river, it's going to show that you're trespassing if you looked how, at it. How accurate is the GPS data? I mean, are you within 20 feet, it, it's, 6 feet? Uh, what? I think it's 3 meters is the GPS accuracy and you get with the zoom level. I think you can get okay. 3 meters. Okay. What about river reports? How are those handled? If you want current yeah, data so on the river. So what we do is we research all of the river reports, whether they be from fly shops, local outfitters, local authors, what have you, and we look at the ones that we see are routinely kept up to date because, as we all know, <laughs> 
God love them, fly shops, sometimes they get busy during the season and they and a lot of them don't update their reports. So what we try to do is identify the ones that do keep them up to date and we list them with every river map. If you were to look at the Colorado River, you'll see three or four river reports from fly shops that we've vetted that we feel like they do a good job of keeping them up to date. We provide a link directly to the river report so they could look at it online. We also provide a phone number for that fly shop so if they wanted to call the fly shop and just verify that this is what's happening, we do that, you know, we provide that. They could just click on that and their phone will, will call them right from there. And then we also provide the link to the fly shop's general website. Every angler always checks a fly fishing report and flows before we go out fishing. <laughs> so that we, we think those are kind of cornerstone data points that we have to provide mm -hmm. people. Yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming that, like, seasonal fly recommendations, you would handle the, the same way through the local shops uh, to get yeah, that kind of you know, information? Yeah, we debated the value of hatch charts. You can get hatch charts for just about every river in the country, but and you get a general idea of what flies might be hatching at a certain time of the year. But at the end of the day, if you're going out, you want to know what's going on that day. Or if you're planning to go to a destination trip next week, you want to know, hey, specifically, what flies do I need to be thinking about for next week? It might say, hey, caddis are prevalent this time of year, but the fly shop may say, hey, it's going to be cold next week. We're going to be fishing blue wing olives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What about camping sites? Are those yes EOIs on the on the, the maps? Yeah. So you yep. See all the, camp, the campsites, both designated campsites as well as wild campsites. So they're not necessarily designated, but it, it's public property, and you can camp there along the river. Any campsite that is managed by either a, a governmental agency or might be a private campsite, we also provide the web links to their to the website for that campsite, so you could do further research on that campsite if you wanted to. But yeah, campsites are a big part of our river map. DB in San Diego said, your videos of on-water ship primarily boat trip waters. Do you also have lots of information for waters that are primarily walk-wade? Seems to me the same information is just good for that, right? You'll know if you can, yeah. it's public yeah. or private, and move up the river or not. Yeah. yeah, he's right. I mean, a lot of our promotional videos we filmed while we were floating, but Honestly, I would say more of the rivers that we've curated are probably walk-wade rivers rather than floating rivers. In fact, when we get down into the, the shuttle service section of the app, it's, it's always difficult to leave that blank. <laughs> there are no shuttle services because this mm -hmm. is a walk-wade fishery. But uh, no, right. that's, that's an important part. And then all the features associated with the map are just as relevant to walk-wade anglers as they are to those that float. Maybe not boat ramps, but certainly distance calculations and private property parcels and and, mm -hmm. and flows and, and so forth and weather conditions, those are all very relevant to the walkway community. Okay. Joel, again, and Joel's very active here tonight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in Sheridan, Wyoming. 
he's got a great question. Is there a website which can be used instead of the app if you have an account? Yes, good question. So it's it's available on uh, mobile, tablet, and and the web. And okay. I'm a little old school. I probably use the web version more than I do the the handheld, especially when I'm planning a trip. It's just it's very robust and and uh, looks great on a big screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another question from Joel: Is the app's focus on salmonoid fly fishing, or are you just are you including smallmouth and other species as well? Other species as well. So we have bass rivers, bass stillwaters. We have steelhead salmon. As I said, eventually we'll go to the salt part of the world, but. I haven't talked about this, but one of the real cool features of the app is our photo feature, and that is you can take a picture. Most people take pictures of fish, but you can take a picture of of a fish, and it'll pin where you caught that picture, or where you took that picture, excuse me, on the river. It'll capture the flows. It'll capture the weather. It'll you can mm. it'll and then you can put in the species, and you can put in what fly you used and any notes associated with it. So you've got this kind of diary, if you will, this digital wow. diary of everything associated with that photo, and then you can upload it to your app, and then you can sort those pictures by river, by species, by date. You know, we've all had the experience when we want to, you know, when we're at a party and we want to show our friends our big fish picture and we're scrolling through thousands of pictures and trying to find it. By the time you get there, everybody's lost interest and walked away. (laughs) Uh, I mean, this is a great way to have all those fishing-related photos in one spot. You could designate them as favorites and and sometimes you can't remember what day you caught a fish, but you remember what river you caught it on. You know, I can sort all the river, all my fish that I've caught on the Colorado or all of them on the mm-hmm. Madison or whatever, you know, and right. I can quickly locate those. Yeah, great, great. That sounds like a great feature. Okay, we're coming to the end here. We've only got a couple minutes left, but we have had several questions about other apps. Uh, Sean wrote in here on the internet, I've been using Onyx for fishing for the last year. I'm not a hunter, so I'm interested in what you have to offer. How are you different, and why should I switch to On Water? And then Nate wrote in, how does On Water compare to other access apps like Onyx? Onyx, and do both the private, do both have the private owner data to contact owners? Maybe speak to Onyx. Let me just speak more broadly to the comparison to Onyx. I mean, Onyx is is a map that has a certain utility that really isn't designed for anglers. We believe that, I mean, we're providing the same information as Onyx, but the way it is presented to our user base is through the lens of an angler. So. If our user wanted to go fish the Colorado River, they type in the Colorado River in the search engine, and it takes you right there. You don't have to scroll around, use it pinching and squeezing your fingers to try to find the Colorado River. Or if you wanted to find the Varney boat ramp at 
on the Madison River, you could type that in and it will take you right there. And it provides all of the information that is relevant to fly anglers, those fly shops, those fishing reports, those flow stations, the regulations, the shuttle services. None of that information is available through Onyx. Onyx has a very great tool. I will tell you that their app was one of the sources of inspiration for us when we started building, building our tool but they can never provide to the angler what we provide. And that's really our DNA. And they're $99 a year, and we're quite, quite a bit cheaper than that. If somebody was using Onyx for fishing and they weren't using it for hunting, I would highly encourage you to, to check us out because I think you would get more value from a total angling experience than Onyx, and we're going to give you the same property data. Okay. There was another question about a, a potentially competitive product. Uh, Charlie Phelps in Minnesota wants to know how on water differs from trout routes. Well, you know, I never want to say anything negative about trout routes. I think it's a fine app. I just think we have a much broader vision of what we're trying to do. We're trying to become more of an industry platform that, again, drives value to more stakeholders than just the individual angler. We have, again, this property data is something that is unique to us, this ability to calculate distances between points on a map are unique to us. Being able to, this geofencing notion of having the app notify you when you might be getting close to some place, the photo feature, I just think there's a depth and breadth to what we're doing that is really second to none. And like I said, we're just getting started. Uh, our roadmap is, is, is incredible. And, and more importantly, every one of our river maps is hand curated by a professional angler. It's not, you know, somebody who doesn't understand our sport and understand what anglers are looking for. These are people that get up every day and they look at a, you know, they start curating a river and they go, oh, my God, what a cool place. And they love learning about it. They love curating it and they love researching it. And all that kind of shows in the precision and just the robustness of the information that we're providing with this mapping tool. Yeah, yeah. We just got a ton more questions. And I'm going to just have you, uh, um, you know, I'm just checking, and you can just make really short, quick answers on these, Scott, because I don't want to keep you here all night. <laughs> but uh, uh, Cheryl in Great Falls wants to know if you identify special, specific handicap accessible features. I know that we have in some areas. I'm going to profess that I can't, say if we're 100% in every one of our river maps that we've captured all of those. But I know that in many of the Montana rivers, we have identified those. Okay. But I'm just going to have to say that I, I'm not sure that we've captured all of them. But it's certainly a good point and one that we need to pay attention to because obviously being inclusive with our sport is yeah. something that we're is very important to us. Ralph in Mesa says, uh, we subscribe to a number of outdoor recreation apps, primarily for hunting and trapping. The issue we have with these apps are the myriad of 
ads boarding or crawling across the screen. Will your app <laughs> have a large amount of ads? If so, please tell me they're fly fishing oriented, especially for local businesses. So <laughs> we have no ads. We're a subscription no model. We have no okay. ads. We're a subscription there you go. model. Each you know, we've toyed with the idea of maybe having a free version where, of course, you'd have to have ads in order to pay for it. But we feel the same way that he does about that, that they they can be annoying, and we want to try to stay pure to our mission right now. So right now we're all subscription, no ads. Okay. And one last question here. Colton says, I do a lot of fishing in national parks in Montana. Will you be adding any more lakes in national parks? And just in general, are you going to cover the national parks as part of the? Yeah, and in fact, that's a great question because we actually have a national park initiative right now where we're going to curate all of the national parks so that we can become the de facto tool for fishing in the national park system. We actually have some relationships with the organizations that uh, run the, the shops, the retail shops, and we think there's a terrific opportunity to to provide our app through those mm-hmm. through those retail outlets. So we've got an initiative going on to concentrate on the national parks like Glacier, Yellowstone, Rocky Mountain, Great. and several in the east as well. Great. Good. Good thing to end on. Yeah. Uh, time to wrap this up. Scott, when we return, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Time Journal and a giving away one-year subscription to OnWater app. So stick with me a little bit longer, Scott. We want you around when we give away the OnWater app. I want to make sure I get the right answer to the question I'm going to ask, which the winner will have to answer. So hang tight. We'll be done in a few minutes. The Ugly Bug Fly Shop in Casper, Wyoming, has been serving fly fishers in Wyoming and around the world since 1983. Their selection of top-of-the-line gear and the huge assortment of flies is one of the best in the land. All products are available in their fly shop and online. So looking for advice, just give them a call, and their expert professional staff will help you with whatever you need. Visit the Ugly Bug Fly Shop today at UglyBugFlyShop.com or call them at 866 845 9284. Again, uglybugflyshop.com or call them at 866-845-9284. Just a quick reminder to everyone before you leave our website tonight, please take a minute and give us some feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Click on that link, leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. And now it's time to give away the prizes. Uh, the winners for our drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but uh, make sure you do so for our next show so you don't miss out on some of these great prizes we have. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we're giving away is the one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. If you don't win, join them. It's a great organization to support. So let me uh, fire up my database here, press our go button, and we've got Brent Brokemeyer. Brokemeyer in Colorado, so congratulations, Brent. And next we'll give away a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Time Journal, courtesy of amatobooks.com. They have lots of good periodicals and books on fly fishing, so check them out at amatobooks.com. 
And our winner there is Bob Nunn in New Jersey. Bob Nunn in New Jersey. So congratulations, Bob. And uh, both of you, gentlemen, I know you'll enjoy your prizes. So now, tonight's question is, uh, let me clear my queue. The way you do this is you answer this question on that form on the homepage, the same place you've been asking questions during the show. Now you're going to put an answer in there. And the question is, how accurate is the GPS? What is the accuracy of the GPS? How many meters would it be accurate for when you're using the on-water app? If you want to give me that, then, Scott, it takes him a second because there's actually a little bit of delay. And, oh, we got a quick one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was going to say, sometimes it takes a while, but let's see here. Hold on a second. And we've, Joel, I don't see your last name there. I'm going to need a last name from you, but I think Joel got it right. He said three meters. That's correct, right, Scott? That's right. Okay, so Joel, I need a last name from you, and what else do we need from him, Scott, to get him get his uh, subscription going? Address, we'll need, phone uh, number? We'll just need an email address, and uh, once we have that email address, he'll hear from us. We'll set him up with an account, and all he'll okay. need to do is we'll set a password for him, and he'll just need to go in there and change that password. Okay. We got folks that'll take care of them for sure. Okay, so Joel, just send me your last name. So we have that, and I've got your email address here, so that's good. And we'll pass that on to OnWater app, and they'll get you taken care of. Lots of places in Wyoming and in Montana to use that, so uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. All right. So, Scott, hey, thank you so much for spending your time. I know you're busy up there with Orvis, and uh, congratulations on being the the Lodge of the Year, Orvis and Joyce Lodge of the Year, that's a great honor. So uh, enjoy sure enjoy the time with Orvis up there, and uh, thanks so much for being on the show with us. You bet. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Roger. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hopefully all of you have found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link, the top-line menu, in the archive you find a search function. You can search over 350 shows, search by keywords, Madison River, Trout, Tarpon, whatever you want, and you'll find something to educate you in our archive. Our next broadcast will be on May 11th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and on that show, I'll interview Skip Morris. And our topic for the show will be fly tying made clear and simple. Skip is a full-time fly fishing author and speaker who has published 22 books and over 350 magazine articles on fly fishing and fly tying. Skip makes fly tying so simple anyone can do it. If you're interested in fly tying but haven't given it a try yet, Listen in, and Skip will provide all the information you need to get started and to be successful. And, you know, just be sure to add that show to your upcoming calendar right under Skip's picture on our homepage. You can add the calendar and put it on your calendar so you don't miss the live show. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Lee's Ferry Anglers, Muskie Town, Enrico Puglisi Flies, and the Ugly Bug Fly Shop for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing. Bye.